February is Heart Health Month. There's no better time to focus on heart-healthy habits like eating more dark chocolate, groundbreaking results from Harvard's massive Cosmos study on cocoa flavanols show a 39% reduction in the risk of cardiovascular death among participants consuming cocoa flavanols daily. I search high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to help improve your blood pressure and cholesterol levels, possibly reduce your chance of heart attack and stroke. I use it every day. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. There you'll find details on Harvard's Cosmos study and great recipes, too. That's FlavaNaturals.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Dr. Drew Ramsey. Dr. Ramsey is a nutritional psychiatrist. He's really a pioneer in this field because there weren't no such thing uh, a decade ago. And that's when uh, he began his investigation of the impact of nutrition on mental health. And uh, he uh, is author of Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety. So um, so one of the things you talk about in the book, uh, Dr. Ramsey, is uh, this thing called BDNF. And it seems to have something to do with neuroplasticity or the ability to Change, You know, the old jokes of, you know, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only if they're only if it's willing to change. <laughs> so you need BDNF, I guess. And what does diet have to do with that? Well, the, well thanks for having me. It's great to be back and talking with everybody about food and mental health and nutritional psychiatry. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, let's... Uh, uh, Ron, I got lost in your analogy about the light bulb. What was the question? <laughs> the BDNF we're going to talk about. BDNF, thank you. BDNF is brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which I apparently need a little more of today. <laughs> and, and this is really, I would say, the most exciting molecule in mental health right now. It's not a new molecule, but uh, when Ron and I finished medical school, you got taught human brain cells don't divide, i.e. you don't get any more brain cells, so be right. careful. We thought about all the brain cells that uh, we killed off while in medical school, you know, and in, uh, you know, in our college revelries. And we thought we'll never get those back. Yeah, yeah right. This is back in the era of, you know, Nancy Reagan and your brain on drugs. And, and the human brain, adult brain, does not grow very much, but it does, in fact, produce new brain cells in the hippocampus, a very uh, important area of the brain when it comes to kind of emotional regulation and learning and integration of various areas of the brain. Um, the uh, exciting thing also is I think it's a hopeful molecule. It helps the brain and brain cells repair themselves. Most importantly, it causes brain cells to foster new connections because brain cells making connections with other brain cells is really kind of the, the base currency of brain health. More connected brains, it's better. More brain cells, better, but more importantly than that, brain cells that are making a lot of connections. And BDNF does that. Now, how does food relate? Well, food and almost all mental health treatments come down to a final common pathway of BDNF. Mm-hmm. You look at how psychotherapy works, BDNF. You look at how medications work. Why are we, in part one, ranting and raving about serotonin? Well, in part, 
uh, peripheral serotonin levels, which got, you know, kind of, I don't know, used to say these meds don't work and this theory doesn't work. Eh, how about when you learn that you give somebody an antidepressant and their BDNF level goes up and their mm-hmm. brains start to grow more? Yeah, maybe we're now, that starts the wrong marker, exciting. you know. Yeah, we're not going to the wrong end. The idea that it's serotonin is a lever, it's one of many levers we can use to influence BDNF. The ones that I love are the ones that we all have in our everyday lives. Good old exercise, mm-hmm. eating a diet that is high in the nutrients that matter for mental health, ranging ones that surprise people that I go over in my books, like fiber and fermented foods, to the nutrients that we all know relate to mental health, magnesium, B12, B9, omega-3 fats. But a lot of folks don't know where to get them or they or they don't know the good source, right? You say omega-3 fats, they say fish oil pill. So yeah, eh, why not have all the oils in the fish, right? Best source of omega-3 fats is going to be small fishes like uh, anchovies, sardines, or even a wild salmon. Um, or magnesium or B9, mentioned in, in part one, lentils are such an amazing source of vitamin B9. And really one of the most important B vitamins for mental health. But, but most of us don't, don't know exactly what foods to get those in. That, that's why I wrote Eat Complete, my third book, the cookbook, to, to go over these nutrients, where they are, what they do in the brain, and most importantly, the top food sources of them. And in Eat to Be Depression and Anxiety, my most recent book, we focus on 12, the 12 nutrients that we found in a small research project looking at what foods have the most, what nutrients are most important for depression. And you mentioned earlier, you know, that you personally, I, I went through this phase as well. I was a macrobiotic vegan for uh, over a decade. Uh, the drawbacks of a pure vegan diet. There, there's some studies that suggest that uh, people who follow, you know, very strict veganism uh, without appropriate uh, intake of, you know, certain supplements or without balance in their diet may be more prone to mental disorders. Uh, not that being a vegan is, is a mental disorder, uh, but it may set you up for critical nutritional deficiencies. Yeah, and I think all well-educated vegans know that. You know, the, the challenge, and, and, you know, everyone in medicine has seen it, is, is that uh, B12 comes from meat and dairy products and eggs, and, and vegans don't eat meat and dairy products and eggs uh, uh, and seafood. And so uh, while you can store about three levels, liters of B12 in your liver, um, you know, individuals who aren't eating any animal products, aren't taking any supplements, can become quite B12 deficient. And eventually, uh, this leads to dementia, psychosis, depression. I mean, there, there is no brain health and mental health without B12. And, and so this is where, you know, there's a lot of education uh, around this for vegans. You know, there's also concerns for entirely plant-based diets uh, around getting enough protein. You know, again, well-educated vegans are, you know, kind of uh, like to point out they do this with beans and legumes and uh, a complete protein can be made by mixing vegetables. I think um, some of the data shows that, you know, still vegetarians are a little bit more prone to zinc and iron deficiencies. There's some data, large meta-analyses looking at mental health needs, suggesting that individuals who don't eat any um, animal products or, or, or even vegetarians use mental health um, services a little bit more 
a little bit higher risk of depression, uh, particularly in men uh, for vegans. So, uh, and and you know, while I may be being kind here uh, in the in the research, uh, it's quite concerning. Particularly if you look at the uh, study out of the UK that looked at British male vegans and 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 found that they had a B twelve deficiency rate of fifty two percent of them. Oof. And if you then look at insufficiency rate, like you have a low B twelve level. Mm-hmm. It was like 73% of them basically wow. were compromised. So, yeah. you know, that that is way too high for the general population of vegans. But just to note, it happens. And I think it can get minimized. Yeah. Um, my sense, Ron, is the big problem that the wellness world or one of them, the wellness world and nutritionists has, is people have been sort of chasing their tail and chasing each other around the uh, argument and, and, and very politicized debate of whether you should eat meat or not. Mm-hmm. And how that affects your heart disease and dementia risk. And, uh, and it's really been, I guess, sad would be the right word for me as a clinician and as, uh, someone who cares about human health to see like that. That's the issue. That's not the issue. Uh, the issue is that humans are eating way, way, way too much and they're eating way, way, way too much processed food. And the macronutrients that most Americans in particular are eating is primarily simple refined carbohydrates from highly processed foods. That's the problem. Another uh, nutrient you know, it, that it, it, I'm sorry, another nutrient that gets uh, short shrift uh, is iron, and you know we find that uh, iron may play a role in especially young women where there's a high prevalence of iron deficiency because of menstruation, because of skimpy diets. Uh, that that has an impact on on brain function. Yeah, you can't make serotonin without iron. You can't make dopamine without iron. Uh, you can't myelinate your cells with iron. Iron. You can't transport blood oxygen to your brain efficiently without enough iron. I mean, it, it, I, you know, I, um, anybody who's had iron deficiency anemia, you feel exhausted and your brain feels foggy. So, you know, and it, 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 you know, it's an important, um, you know, sort of thing to note that there are a lot of medical causes of depression, uh, ranging from B vitamin deficiencies to iron deficiency, hypothyroidism. So, what, what do you make of uh, the one in, in psychiatry? There's not a lot conventional psychiatry. That is, there's not a lot about nutrition. But one of the things that was popularized a while ago uh, was something called serifolin, which is a B vitamin uh, supplement. You're probably familiar with it, which has B12, folate and B6. Uh, and it was supposed to be like hamburger helper for your SSRI. It made your SSRI go further. Uh, what's your take on that? Or do you think just dietary sources will suffice? Well, I mean, I think that you're always going to find the data signal when you add B vitamins or minerals that are helpful for depression onto, you know, essentially you're testing, you're saying two antidepressants are better than one. You know, if you add on magnesium to that mix, uh, you know, uh, there's reasonable data magnesium self for depression. I think for me, yeah, I'm, I'm your food guy. And that my, you know, my question when I hear data like that is, okay, cool. What's your favorite source of vitamin B6, Ron? You know, and, and, and you know, what's your favorite source of vitamin B12? Um, and what are your top four sources? And, you know, more importantly, what's your favorite recipe? Uh, because that's, you know, how I would hope we translate that data. Otherwise, we're saying, you know, the way to treat nutritional issues is by acknowledging people are always going to eat garbage food. And so let's give them nutrients and pills. Mm-hmm. You can't I, I'm not ready to hang up my box. 
loves. Right. You're not able to supplement your way away from a bad diet. Uh, so uh, is there a reason that psychiatrists seem so hesitant to embrace this paradigm? Is Are they just stuck in their uh, medical and psychoanalytical uh, realms? Uh, or are well, they afraid? I mean, are they afraid to do this because maybe they, there's some liability if you decide? Well, you know, let's before we try an antidepressant, you know, we're going to just like get you on an exercise and, and and diet program. I don't think there's a lot of liability in that. I would say that you know I wouldn't characterize psychiatry as is so sort of averse or hesitant. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. think there are people. Uh, when we presented at the American Psychiatric Association, I mean, it's a sellout crowd every time. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I, I do think that there is a group in psychiatry that's conservative that I always like to kind of tip my hat to and listen to that is very concerned about people taking advantage of mental health patients and the desperate need they have for better treatments. And I, I would say maybe the desperate need we have for better treatments is a better way to frame that. So, uh, it, you know, it, it's um, and I think it's a valid thing to always pay attention to. You know, there there is a big placebo effect in mental health, eating delicious food and being part of a food culture that supports you and 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 uh, eating in a way that you think takes care of your mental health is probably good for your mental health uh, in a in a what I call food SIBO effect way. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we tend to diminish uh, the importance of placebos, yeah. but, you know, something that is, has a healing effect, you know, like a, a process or, or a paradigm or self-empowerment, that that's all good. I think, you know, and, and then in terms of some of the other aspects you mentioned, one I think is lack of training. Uh, I, we created the first nutritional psychiatry training course for clinicians uh, that we offered at the Omega Institute and then filmed, mm, and it's right. available on my website. Um, we hosted the first nutritional psychiatry clinician community um, and started a nutritional psychiatry virtual cooking class. And so well, these are some of our efforts to help clinicians and mental health clinicians learn about this i think it can be a little scary i think also you know it can get minimized right where people you know say how's your diet and folks say you know it's pretty healthy doc i eat a healthy diet count calories i try to avoid red meat and fat and kind of these flipping things folks say drink red wine for my mental health and it's just sort of like yeah that's that's not those aren't the virtues or kind of pillars of nutritional psychiatry right pillars of nutritional psychiatry ask you to eat with your brain health in mind, to eat according to nu- nutrient density and, and real whole foods and the food category, that little Ryan Ronald, seafood, greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. And, uh-huh. you know, we, on top of that, we throw some fermented foods and some rainbow vegetables. And, you know, you've, you've got a really colorful, nutrient dense, delicious place of food to, to really help you feed your mental health. Let's focus on dark chocolate because there's a lot of psychoactive substances in dark chocolate. So uh, what's up with that? So dark chocolate has theobromines, a a group of molecules that uh, are are rather stimulating. Some of the science behind dark chocolate is it increases blood flow to the brain. Uh, There, uh, you know, have been concerns recently in the media uh, around heavy metal contamination and yep. some chocolate brands. I've gotten a lot of questions about that. And you know, I think one of the nice things about our food system is when problems like that crop up, we learn about them pretty quickly. And you know, we're going to start seeing lead-free chocolate packaging soon because people are testing their product more. And 
you know, as a consumer, I kind of appreciate that and think it's quite interesting to, to kind, of, kind of evolution in food safety and, and uh, what we focus on. Uh, dark chocolate can also be quite mood boosting for people. It, it, it kind of uh, uh, has a variety of, kind of uplifting and mood boosting effects in the brain. Um, and, and I think it's one of those foods that kind of shows where nutritional psychiatry asks people a, a different question. From a nutritional psychiatry standpoint, one of the big questions I want to know is what gives people joyfulness around their food? Mm -hmm. And how how, how do you feel really just great about what you're eating? What does that take for you? What what are those foods? And so, you know, kind of making sure that um, people are, you know, eating in a way that that is uh, delicious, is joyful, isn't oppressive is also a really important part of this. Speaking of somewhat oppressive, you know, there's a lot of buzz about uh, a full-on ketogenic diet for psychiatric problems. And uh, recently we had Dr. Chris Palmer on this program, you know, advocating that. Uh, in your book, you, you touch upon that, but you, you kind of sort of uh, give it faint praise. What's your take on it? Well, yeah, Dr. Palmer has a new book, Brain Energy Out, and uh, it's great to see more people getting interested in this. Um, uh, my sense is that the ketogenic diets are interesting and in that you feed brain cells a different fuel. When you switch to a ketogenic diet, about 70%, 35% of the energy for your brain cells come from the breakdown of fat products. And we've known for a long time you can put people on ketogenic diets, and there are brain effects, namely this came through the pediatric epilepsy Um uh, uh, world or research or really at the turn of the century. But, you know, in terms of ketogenic diets being one, tolerable, two, having any data that they're helpful for mental health in a, in a kind of daily conventional way, right? There's no data that people eating a ketogenic diet have less depression or less anxiety. Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, in some ways a way of really not understanding some of the fundamentals of nutritional psychiatry. And, you know, nutrition, psychiatry is around helping people understand their path. It is a psychiatrist. I'm not here to tell you what religion you should be, Ronald. Mm-hmm. But I am curious in your spiritual life. And I do think you having a spiritual life is an important aspect of your adult human development. It doesn't have to be a religion, but, but you thinking about your place in the universe. I think that that's something that is very helpful for people, especially as they age. But I'm not here to tell you that you should be a Catholic. And my sense is recommending a ketogenic diet is like telling people the way, really the way to eat for mental health is to be a Catholic. And that's not true. A ketogenic diet isn't the path to mental health. The path towards mental health with food is through eating a diet that is nutrient dense, that supports your mental health, that fits within your budget and your values and your tastes, and ensures that ideally from food, you're getting all of the nutrients you need to decrease inflammation, enhance neuroplasticity, feed your microbiome. To me, that's the core of nutritional psychiatry because what I hear over and over again from patients is not that they need a ketogenic diet. What I hear over and over again from patients is that they're confused. They're tired of experts telling them, eat medi, eat keto, don't eat meat, eat meat, only eat meat. They're tired of that. Mm -hmm. Carnivore diet. And what they really need is that they need clinicians to walk with them as they come to understand, you know, some of what is very true about what Chris says, right? That, that we're eating way too many carbohydrates and sugars, that ketones do play an important role in brain health. I think about it a bit as a wash cycle when I go low carb for a little bit. But I think having ketogenic 
diets be the entryway to nutritional psychiatry? Uh, uh, you know, to me, it's more of a specialty avenue. But certainly for patients who have bipolar disorder or psychosis or um, a severe mood cycling in some way, who want to think about, uh, you know, how uh, what I would call a reasonably specialty diet could help them, certainly ketogenic is where we would direct them and where we'd want them to look. Mm -hmm. Tell us about uh, your cookbook, uh, uh, The 21 Nutrients That Fuel Brain Power, Boost Weight Loss, and Transform Your Health. It's called Eat Complete. Yeah, thanks so much for asking, Ron. The 2016, this book came out. It's the first nutritional psychiatry cookbook. And the idea was really to take the most important nutrients for mental health kind of broadly, you know, things like choline or even things like phytonutrients, right, which we know are really important for mental health and gut health. But they aren't um, – they aren't, uh, uh, you know, traditional nutrients. Same thing with like fermented foods, Right? Most folks don't think about how many CFUs, how many colony forming units they eat every day, but it's an important metric of your diet. And, and so eat complete. The idea was to, to look at these nutrients, uh, things like magnesium and iron and zinc and ask what foods have the most of them. So everybody reading the book has at their fingertips, you know, a quick resource. Hey, you want more magnesium? What are the top five foods that you should eat for magnesium? And then we created recipes out of these foods. So that all of the recipes are designed to have uh, at least four or five nutrients that you're getting 75, 80, 100% of in that meal. And so the idea is to really eat for nutrient density for mental health. Indeed. And that book is available along with uh, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety. And you also tell us about your initiative, the Brain Food Clinic. Uh, there was a branch in New York City, and you say there's also a branch out there in Wyoming. Uh, what's yes, going on? Yeah, thanks so much for asking, Ron. The Brain Food Clinic is our, our clinical group. We've got a wonderful group of clinicians seeing patients in New York, uh, in Wyoming, in Seattle. Uh, we see patients uh, via telemedicine in uh, Florida and California uh, as well. Uh, our, our group of clinicians really focused on integrative mental health and delivering excellent mental health care in uh, a mostly digital model. Uh, we're really, really interested in nutritional psychiatry and uh, um, psychodynamic psychotherapy and um, internal family systems. And really, you know, I, I would say it's a, it's a uh, we're a group of clinicians that care a lot about mental health, about alliance and about taking great care of, of our patients and also in supporting each other. I've just noted that a lot of us in mental health end up in solo private practice and that gets a little bit lonely and it doesn't really allow us to leverage the synergistic power of what happens when therapists and physicians and healers kind of commune together. And so our hope is to, to uh, give clinicians a home and to give patients a home to heal. Is there a place for uh, certified nutritionists uh, working alongside psychiatrists to deliver better outcomes? Is that in the future? I think so. I, I know that I love it when my patients see we have a, a coach and chef on our team, Emily Berner. Uh, it's wonderful that I'll have a patient in therapy who's really, you know, struggling with kids and mealtime, and they'll have some sessions with Emily to maybe tune up a few of their, you know, meal prep skills and, and you know, suddenly have this intervention that's really 
very concrete and satisfying for patients. So I, I do think that there's a role for that. And I think particularly in community psychiatry, where there's a lot of time with patients, a lot of uh, psychiatric morbidity. I think, you know, this is where Dr. Palmer is, you know, really thinking about a ketogenic diet. You know, one of the, one of the ways to get more data about that and is, is to start thinking about that in community psychiatry programs. So there, there's a, there's a lot of uh, runway, a lot of excitement, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot uh, that's going to be happening very soon as as we think about new models. So I think the short answer there, Ron, is yes. I think there's a way that we're going to see dietitians and nutritionists uh, in. Uh, uh, in mental health settings. And finally, on a final note, you know, it seems that uh, we're seeing a real uptick in mental disorders among kids, you know, not just uh, depression and anxiety, uh, attention deficit disorder, uh, even bipolar disorder. The statistics are really surging. Uh, should some of these programs be directed at introducing kids to healthy foods? You know, maybe community gardens, you know, resources in uh, schools yeah, and in the community. I think, I think what we want to do is make sure that everyone understands that food isn't the only thing we need to do for mental health. But food is the thing that everyone does need to do something about for mental health. And so when we are teaching kids, when we think about an ideal system, um, I work with Bring Change to Mind, a really wonderful nonprofit organization that creates mental health clubs in high schools and middle schools around the country. We have thousands and thousands of kids every day openly talking now about their mental health. That's what we want. And in those groups, can kids learn about nutrition? Can they learn about self-regulation and tools and self-expression and resources in case they need more help? Yeah, uh, nutrition is certainly one of the skill sets that we would want kids and adolescents to have as they're preparing on their journey to take care of their mental health. Indeed, it's a nutritional literacy is certainly lacking uh, among health professionals as well as among the public. And you're Certainly doing something about it. So the book is Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, Nourish Your Way to Better Mental Health in Six Weeks. It's got a lot of great information. And uh, kudos to you, Dr. Drew Ramsey, for being a, a pioneer and a, and a real advocate in this, this critical field. Thank you so much, Ron. Thanks, everybody, for, for listening. And uh, it's, a, it's a treat to be uh, speaking with you all and thinking about food and mental health. And, you know, my hope is everybody listening and just, Take something of this conversation that helps you better feed your mental health. That would be really meaningful to me, whether it's lentils or fermented food or wild salmon. But, but uh, you know, I hope there's something in here for you. Indeed. And more resources can be found at DrewRamseyMD.com. That's R-A-M-S-E-Y, DrewRamseyMD.com. Thanks, Dr. Ramsey, for joining us. Really a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much, Ron. Take care. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.